Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name's James Gill. I am the MC at the multi-award-winning comedy nights, Always Be Comedy. I'm joined, as always, by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedy's very own, Tim Lewis. Hello, Tim Lewis. Hello, James Gill. The Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a guest and they curate what would be their dream comedy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What sort of gigging nightmare that they've experienced must not, under any circumstances, happen at this fantasy comedy gig? It's all this and so much more. And by so much more, we often mean quite a lot of gossip. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. Uh, we're joined today by t- uh, Tim, I would say, uh, a comedian we're both profoundly excited by. That's why we had him on the podcast. Uh, the great Paddy Young. Yes, absolutely. If you listen to our bonus pod that came out about a few days ago, you'll remember he is my <laughs> ABC Award new act of the year. I really love the guy. I think he's fantastic and it's great to have him on before he turns into a megastar, no doubt. Absolutely. Tim Lewis, got to give full credit for the assist. Uh, it was it was August. I was away with the family. Tim Lewis got in touch to say that he'd seen Paddy Young at Edinburgh. He went on a classic Tim Lewis. I'd call it a scouting trip. Uh, <laughs> and we were taught Tim and I smoke from the Vatican, get him booked in. So we've, we, he's come down to always be comedy a couple of times. He did one of our super duper secret shows that we're not allowed to talk about. But that's how much we rate him. We'd, we handpicked him. For one of those, and then uh, at the, Tim at the Tommy Field. I mean, that was another absolute machine gunning, wasn't it? Ashling B was on the bill, I seem to recall. Yeah, that was a great gig. That was Nish, Helen Bauer, Ashling, and Paddy in the middle. It was just great. Yeah, four titans, four titans. What to to somebody who might not have thing is all our listeners are comedy savvy dudes who could probably as it happens, teach us a trick or two when it comes to comedy knowledge. But to anyone who's not checked out Paddy, I, I mean, what I would say about Paddy, he's a, he's a very, I'm not a cool dude. Paddy's a, Paddy is a cool dude. But one of the things I love about Paddy is that, a bit like Josh Pugh, in that there is a bit of, and this is a, trust me, I love the old school. There's something of the old school of Paddy. There's a, there's a, a, a Bobby Ballness to him uh, Absolutely. I, I love my 80s comedians, as regular listeners will know. And Paddy is a cool dude, but there is a bit of 80s charm, a bit of old school charm about him. So it is Tim. He's got his, uh, a, a lovely term that Harry Hill 
uh, enjoys using. He's got stagecraft. Oh, that's nice. He does. He really has stagecraft. Bobby Ball's a great comparison. I think he really is. I was I'd once ad libbed a bit, and it was me singing a song and being pretending to be cross at you that the music wasn't coming in. <laughs> oh yeah, Harry Hill said at the break, stagecraft. Honestly, I wish you'd do it more. Actually, I've just remembered it. I'd love that. Point duly taken for 2024. Um, singing, all dancing, always be comedy for 2024. <laughs> but yeah, but so so Paddy Paddy has that in abundance. Naturally, he, he's naturally funny. He's got funny bones. The writing is sensational. Um, he, I tell you what, Tim, it, 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 it comes back to comedy top trumps. I'd say he scores highly across the board. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of young comedians talking about Generation Rent. I think Paddy Young does it. He's he's up there with the very best. I'd say he's at the, he's the zenith of these of the of the Generation Rent. I mean, it's great because it, it's he ca he he captures the anger, um, and the and you know let, let's let's face it the the sheer unfairness of it all. However, he does it while being belly achingly funny. Yeah, never comes off as, <laughs> this doesn't sound good, never comes off as moaning or bitter. Well, no, he does come off as bitter, but it's very funny. But, but yeah, in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah. Because he remembers to include jokes and, and hang on, that's not a dig at anyone else. I'm just <laughs> saying, so hang on, hang on, I've really got, I'm, I'm, I'm in a hole, I'm going to keep digging. It's very easy. When you're making, you know, as Norm Macdonald would say, Norm Macdonald sometimes, if he was trying a new bit and he didn't feel it was funny, Norm Macdonald would say, hmm, it's more like I'm making a point, right? And that that's what I mean. Sometimes when, you, when you're trying to make a point, it's, the, you can make the point without including the jokes and the funny bit. And does it sound like I'm speaking from experience? Uh, but but pa Paddy does all that, but while having some of the, the, the finest jokes. And I'll tell you what, Tim, what a 2023 he had. And as Tim mentions, as mentioned on our bonus episode that came out the other day, tell you what, Tim, that was the best bonus episode I think we've done. I I really loved it. Yeah, it's it was a lot of fun. And I think, yeah, well, it, I, it was, it was, I'd say this, sorry, Tim, I'm going to put words in your mouth. The reason, the reason I'm doing this is because as we always say, it, it should be, it should be difficult to talk positively about yourself. And the reason why Tim was umming and ahhing was because it was all Tim's idea. So it's very easy for me to speak positively about it. A, it was Tim's idea. B, all the categories were Tim's idea, which is why I can say with confidence, it was a brilliant episode. Well, thank you very much, James. I, I thought had a lot of fun coming up with categories, coming up with the everything, coming up with everything, it was great. Do we maybe we do a January episode where we look ahead? Also, maybe don't, maybe I don't push my luck, but there is something in that, perhaps. Where well, there'll be some irons in the fire. Can I just say that Tim's face looks more confident than his voice suggested? <laughs> yeah, 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 big smile. <laughs> we are recording this in the in the sweet spot between Christmas and New Year. Tim, how was Christmas? You know what? It was really lovely. It was just, I mean, look, it was the classic, ate too much. Uh, I wouldn't say drink too much. I don't drink, but that's what everyone says. I watched so much stuff. I watched so many things. 
It was really lovely, really great. How about you? Tim and I don't drink. That's that. You know what, Tim? I think there's something in that, mm. and, and where our our addiction, obsession, call it whatever you want. Instead of getting on it, we get on it, but the it is comedy admin. Well, look, it's been quite a few days. I've edited a lot of podcasts. <laughs> We're set. Uh, and Tim, we are also very excited about some of the shows we have coming up. We mentioned the Miles Jupp show that we have coming up, and that is now very nearly sold out. So that is the 4th of January. Uh, however, the twist is it's at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, but we are talking last few tickets 5 p.m thursday the 4th of january the great miles jupp is performing a tour preview of his upcoming show on i bang we've seen it it is brilliant yeah it's really great he's just superb storyteller and he's got he's got a while before a tour starts and it's again it's so brilliant already yeah you need to go see it it's so good uh, speaking of tours, of course, the great Paddy Young is on tour with his, I mean, it's, it is a barnstorming show. Paddy Young, hungry, horny, scared. Y- yes, we've mentioned Generation Rent, and so y- the you ruddy kids with your, with your rock and roll music, the, the young folk will love it, Generation Rent. However, this is, a, this is a show for absolutely any age because funny is funny, and my God, Paddy Young is very, very funny. We're, we're very smug that we got on. Tim, we got on the bandwagon just at the right time because I think this lad is he's going all the way. He's going to the moon. It's going to be great. The show is excellent. It's got five stars from the Rolling Stone, which is like it's like a Beastie Boys album or something. That's great. You know who wrote that? I think I think Nuruddin wrote that. He did. He did, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. All comes back. Paddy's at the Soho Theatre, 15th to 20th of London, and then the tour properly kicks off uh, in York, 16th of February. If you visit the website, burksnest.com slash Paddy, all the dates are there. Edinburgh, Leicester, Bristol, Margate, Belfast, Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle, Leeds, Glasgow, Cambridge, Brighton, Bath, Berwick-upon-Tweed, 5th of April. Tim, it, start, it starts in earnest, 16th of, of February in York. Yes, there are the Soho Theatre dates. Um, and then it finishes Berwick upon Tweed on the fifth of April. I would say, knowing Paddy, there's every chance that tour will be extended. Yeah, I think so. Well, look, the only way I got to see the shows because in Edinburgh they kept adding dates. He had one of those Edinburghs where he hits the ground running. The first show, I remember trying to get in on a pass, and the staff came out, no chance, completely sold out on the first day of the Fringe. That's so difficult to do. And then it just went from there. And they're talking to Tim Lewis like that. That is, Tim <laughs> Lewis, you should be able to stand in front of the venue, click your fingers, and not just the staff, the audience, and whoever the, the act is, don't matter if it's Bill Burr, Whitney <laughs> Cummings, Eddie Murphy, they should come out and form a guard of honour like they do at cricket. That is the esteem in which you should be held, and in the eyes of many, are held in comedy. Well. Courtyard escorting me out, so you know what they call him the star maker, <laughs> the king maker. 
The Kingmaker. Sorry, Tim. You're right to correct me. The Kingmaker. Uh, we have a running joke with the five-year-old that I something will come up. Let's say I was. Let's say that I was saying that I was a star maker, and I would say to the five-year-old, "You know, they used to call me at school, Star Maker McGee." And <laughs> bless her heart, I, I have a feeling she'll be telling a therapist in about twenty years. <laughs> If I was to, if I empty the dishwasher very quickly, I would say that at school they called me empty the dishwasher McGee and the poor, poor little girl, little twitch like Herbert Lom in the Pink Panther films that I've cracked the same <laughs> joke. Um, right. Paddy Young. Uh, what, what a guy. Tim, I, I think I can say this. Yeah, I, I'm going to say this. He gives my favorite incident. You would love to replicate answer we've had to date. It's really good. It's really good. I think, yeah, it certainly could be my favourite too. No mention it. It's certainly right up there. Yeah, easily. Uh, here he... Oh, but, oh, oh, my God. Fuck. Hang on. Sorry. That's right. Uh, as ever, uh, you can get in touch. The team at alwaysbecomedy.com. This is quite lazy of me. If you could use the email heading correspondence... Oh, it, that would be different gear so any correspondence please email in the team at alwaysbecomedy.com with the email header correspondence thank you very much and then across the socials we are at always be comedy and if you'd like to leave a review that would be awesome i don't know i've turned into a school teacher here uh, t- uh tim and i it was brought to our attention that we got to number two in the comedy podcast charts in Malta. Uh, we, we shared it across the socials. Tim, that was a lovely bit of business. <laughs> it's just one of those bizarre things that I, I'm going to say now, when we started this podcast, I didn't expect it to be such a hit in Valletta, but <laughs> I'm delighted that uh, the people of Malta are enjoying it so much. I, I've got to say, it's... Um... It's been a, a real journey. I, I, I can I, I can only guess, Tim, that it's only is it because when you when you actually click onto the charts, basically we got to number two on December the fifteenth, and that, I think that's the first time we've charted there. And then we've we've really flirted with the top five. I mean, not, we've more than flirted. We've been married to the top five. We were but we were back to number four last week, uh, and we're currently number twenty four. So. Genuinely, thank you to the people of Malta. God, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm delighted. I'm slightly confused, but I'm delighted that you're enjoying it so much. And also, the, the in the in the actual the the British uh, comedy charts, old Tommy Davis has seen us uh, take quite a jump up there as well, Timo. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you get big for big dog. You you do well. You know what I was going to say? I thought you were going to say something. I thought you were really going to see through that metaphor. I thought you were going to say something like, you get the big dog, you better be prepared to hear some barking. <laughs> no. You've gone full, full gangster. <laughs> no, next time. You get the big dog, you throw him a bone. Um, anyway, look, uh, I know we say it a lot, but sincerely, thank you very much. We are, we are grateful boys. And we're, you know, Tim, I, you know what? I'd say we were both, dudes who were raised to say it's not a thing for a 45 year old to say but we are very we're very big on our pleas and thank yous 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. I I like to be polite. So I was raised that way. I was raised that way as well. Tim, how else did this manifest itself? Was it elbows off the table during a meal and all that? Um, for a little bit, I don't know. We didn't stretch quite that far most of the time, thankfully. I revealed far too much. <laughs> Granddad was a teacher. I, I'm going to say it, war hero in the Navy. Fantastic. For, for Britain, I want to make that absolutely clear. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, but yeah, was, was big on the manners. And you know what? He was right. My, yeah, I think that must be a granddad thing. My granddad would, like, put on, like, a full suit to go to a garden centre and stuff. Mine was the same. Yeah. Full quite, suit. Tie, quite like it. Cufflinks. Don't mind it. So what we, <laughs> we get two men on? who've worn one suit a year. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Those two sat here. And you know what? They were absolutely correct. Do you wear a suit? <laughs> absolutely not. No. Uh, but if you come to always be coming in 2024 and wonder why we're dressed like it's the Oscars, it's because... This, this, we had a real chat after this segment. Uh, we'll bring on uh, the the great, uh, the maestro. Uh, <laughs> if you've never seen him, you will love him. Trust us, uh, the great Paddy Young. Right then, uh, every now and then, Tim and I will see a, a new act, and we'll think they need to up their get. No, no, no. We see a new act, and we go, we go. Who the heck is this guy? We'll we'll buy everything that they've got. Yes, please. And uh, Paddy Young is very much top of that list. Unfortunately, Paddy couldn't be with us, so instead Tim and I will be doing a Q and A. It's good stuff. It's a good it's a good start to the pod. Uh, Paddy Young, how are you? I'm very well. It's an honour to be here. Uh, it's an honour to have you on. So Paddy's done a couple of ABCs recently. Absolutely machine gunned uh both of them most recently sunday night nish kumar helen bauer ashling b uh paddy young bringing the thunder that was a, that was a fun one wasn't it on uh, on sunday oh it was such a fun gig i mean those are the ones they're just easy aren't they the room's lovely everyone's good you have a pint afterwards like it's they're not always like that i mean but i i also, but i do think that you've got a You've still got to be funny in that room. Yeah, yeah. And, th and those are the ones where, yeah, if you're a negative person, which I am, you can almost see it as a, uh, <laughs> a lose-draw situation. <laughs> because if, you, if, if, you do a, if, you do, if you're doing a bad gig and it goes badly, you can always just go back to your chair and be like, you know. But those ones, you go, well, if this one, if I bottle this one. What I would say, though, is we, we have had comedians... I, I, I think I've told this story before. I'll, I'll do a very, very abridged version. Adam Hills ran through a tour show in that room, roofed it, said to us at the break, is this just an easy gig? And we went, no, you've still got to deliver. Mm -hmm. And then after the break, did new material. Some of it landed, as with any new material, some of it didn't land as well. And Hills, he said to the crowd, ah, I get you guys, you're a true crowd. If you're funny, you laugh. If you're not, you've still got to... Yeah. You've still got to deliver. And uh, I think that's true of that room. But what, you, my friend, very much delivered. That's very good. Thank you. Uh, Paddy, as someone who spent a lot of his childhood in Scarborough, mm -hmm. uh, please talk us through how you 
went from Scarborough to becoming one of Britain's most exciting uh, new comedians. I like that. I'll get that on a poster. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, uh, I did youth theatre from a young age. And I always was involved in it, but there's a really good theatre up there called the Stephen Joseph Theatre. And I did plays. And then I always loved comedy, but I was quite intimidated by it. There wasn't a comedy club. Uh, and even when I moved to Manchester to go to drama school, uh, I was still, I would, I'd go all the time, but I was very intimidated by it. And it was really Edinburgh. I used to always go to Edinburgh. Um, and see everyone would go and watch plays and I'd go and watch stand-up on my own. So I was a fan of it. Um, I can never I can never not remember being a fan of it. And it's funny looking back because I always had to force myself to go to the theatre and read scripts and all that stuff. I just, there was occasionally something that I loved, but most of it I found really boring. But I always loved comedy. And then it wasn't until I graduated and didn't have much work or anything that I thought, should I just do one just for the sake of it? And the first one went really well because it was a really friendly crowd. And then the second one um, didn't get a single laugh. <laughs> and actually, I remember I had my backpack next to the stage and uh, I came off the stage and I picked up my backpack and I ran out of the room. I ran home, ran up the stairs and went under my covers and didn't gig again, I don't think, for another six months. But it was there. I had to do it again. What what age were you there then? I'd been like 25, 26. Yeah. I mean, you've got you've got your own voice, Paddy. The, the th I don't wanna I don't wanna burn your gear on the pod or anything, but like the little things, the little physicality, the things that you do after a punchline. Uh, you know, Bruce For Bruce Forsyth used to do the walk away. You've sort of got uh you've got like a almost Gene Kelly version of that going on. Where did um by the way, I say that as a I, I love Bruce, so that's a huge compliment. Where, where, where did where did all that come from? The little flourishes that that give you that 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 Paddy youngness. It's funny. I don't know because a lot of the material because I did my first hour this year. I did Edinburgh, and a lot of the stuff was reworked stuff that I've done, like that I did in some of my first gigs. Uh, and you know, I remember someone saying to me ages ago. You know, it's not the material, it's the act. And I, there's always stuff that just never worked. And I always deep down thought that there is, that is funny. You know, there's, 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 but I could never find a way in. And I think it took me a long time. I think it took me a long time to, to realize what, what I, what worked for me on stage. And I don't know if I've become a better writer in the last year or two, but I've learned a few more faces. <laughs> What a line! <laughs> but we look at yeah. I've been I've got two young girls. I've been showing them quite a bit of Tim Vine recently, right? Yeah. One of the absolute masters of physicality after a punchline, and that sometimes Tim. I mean, I, you know, he's such a favourite, but Tim will do a gag, and if he doesn't think it's quite got the laughter he thinks it deserves, he does that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the showbiz walk, and yeah. then they, and then he's gotten with that. So it's almost like the left hook hasn't connected as much as he thought. So. Have the have the right uppercut with my uh, with my little dance, but all those all those little things are lovely, aren't they? Yeah, and and just uh, you know, there's a I think like the the best acts, are, are, there's a game they're playing with the audience, right? There's the the, the stuff they're talking about. There's also like a game element, um, and uh, I think it's very fun, sort of playing with status. And if if you are going to be talking about things like um, you know, killing yourself in a flat share. 
<laughs> or, or, pit bull, or pit bull dogs being exterminated. <laughs> then, if there isn't a twinkle in the eye, in the eye, then then it, it is hate crime. Um, so, mate, yeah. you're absolutely because some of, some of your stuff. And again, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan, and this all comes from a place of love. But there's some quite dark stuff in there. But because there's a twinkle in the eye, you know, and you, almost a wink. I mean, you get you can get away with uh, metaphorical murder. Yeah, well, it's funny. Horatio Gould, who's a, a mate of mine, a really good comic, he was really annoyed because he came to see the show at Edinburgh and he was like, you're getting away with things because you're doing a little dance. <laughs> Never stop doing the dance. <laughs> Never stop doing the dance. You know, as long as you do that, all the Wokies won't, won't notice. It's like a, it's like a trance. <laughs> I like the idea that, that I don't know. Most people I imagine will have never heard of me before. And I can't imagine what they now think my act is. <laughs> well, you're in luck because you can see Paddy on tour. But I do. But you know, I do. You know, I do a lot of TV warm up, and you know, like, some of my favourite audience members are, are pensioners, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that some of the stuff I'm saying is a, a bit cheeky, or I'm pulling the leg. But I know that they know that because I'm smiling, that I'm only joking. Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it is in the eyes, I guess. So, who were your who were your guys? I'm a, I'm like you, Paddy. I can never. I can't remember a time when I didn't love comedy. So, who were the guys that got you that got you hooked? I get. I guess with you, if it was from the off, you were you would have been a, a literal child when you got into you know when you were started loving comedy. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I remember the very first things were not like stand up. I was really lucky because my parents were quite um, yeah liberal when it came to like what we could watch they weren't like it was I, I remember um finding um a copy of my dad's viz under his bed um and i used to read the beano uh, and then i think i must have only been about 11 or 12 and it looked exactly the same as the beano but the characters were called you know terry fuckwit um buster gonads and his unfeasonably large testicles like and it was so rude and so funny and i remember that just completely lighting up my brain and being obsessed with it and he t- he had he kept all of his copies from the 90s so i remember that just being a huge huge thing okay. uh, now paddy the, the t- huge congratulations on the tour please talk us through it uh when it kicks off as you say to any listener because a lot of our listeners are based around uh britain they attend comedy shows so what what might they expect apart from a twinkle in the eye Oh, there'll be, there'll be a lot of twinkling, a lot of dancing. A lot of twinkling. <laughs> um, the show's called Hungry, Horny, Scared. Um, and it's um, it's sort of a meditation on what it's like to be stuck in Generation Rent and the feeling of not going anywhere. But it's very absurd. It takes lots of very odd tangents. And it kind of sits uh, with... Um, uh, a thing that happened in my hometown of Scarborough, which is uh, last New Year's Eve, a walrus um, t- turned up on the shores for the first time a walrus had ever been seen in Yorkshire. And uh, what he did in front of the entire town very much fits the name of the show, Hungry, Horny, Scared. Um, and so he sort of shredded throughout. But it's it's basically the amalgamation of all the best stuff I've ever done. Um, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good show. It's it's it, we we did it at Edinburgh, and then we're gonna do um, nine dates in London at Soho Theatre in November and January, and then on tour, I think fifteen other places, all 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 across. I, I've got it all on my Instagram, um, or Twitter if you use that. 
I mean, Paddy, this is this is Dreamland. As a, as a, a lad who was a comedy fan, to be announcing a debut tour off the back of a Red Hot Edinburgh. I mean, this is, mate, it's all happening. It's nice. It's really nice. Yeah. And it was nice because I knew before I went to Edinburgh that we probably were going to do a, a little tour. So I always knew that that was going to happen. And then now it's just been extended a little bit. Yeah, it's, I'm really, really excited. So when did now when did when did the move to London, London take place, Paddy? 2018 or 2019. So I started in Manchester and then moved down here. Um, and I was not um, I wasn't getting like it wasn't really going anywhere in Manchester. But I was at least doing like, you know, you know, crappy 10 minute spots and the occasional club thing. And then, you know, you'd, yeah, you'd get you'd still get to do the, the big clubs occasionally with a very badly paid spot. Moving down to London was so hard. I always wanted to try London and like I've got three sisters. They all live down here. So I always wanted to give it a go. But my memory of moving here, and it still hangs with me every time. I I still sort of think I've got this mentality sometimes of like a perennial open micer and living complete scarcity because the gigs were so bad when I came here. And it was like, I think when you very, when you start, you're just, you're willing that for a while it's going to be hard. But because I sort of did a little bit of acting and that was hard and then did Manchester and that was hard and then moved to London and the gigs were just like awful. I found it so bleak. I remember, because there was no such thing as a bringer's gig in the North. There might be now. I remember coming to bring, I, I didn't take it seriously. I thought that can't be a real thing or like a strict thing. Turn up to a gig without a bringer and I was meant to do five minutes and because I didn't have a bringer, he let me do three. Oh! Three minutes. Given up and having to watch, you know, 20 other losers. Oh. And the worst thing about those gigs is... You can't really do that well at them. And what's really sad about those gigs is, is this, this is what I've always thought about comedy, is if you're a comedian, the chances are that's something that you've always had in your back pocket is being funny, right? So, you know, when I was an actor, I was not like, I never was better at all the other things than anyone else, but I always thought I am funny. When I'm in a room, I'm probably one of the funniest. I think I am. And you always think in your, in your pocket, I'm not the sportiest, I'm not this, I'm not that, but I am funny. And then you try and do stand up, and then you're the one thing that was your thing, you're bad at over and over again. And that was the hardest thing about doing it is, is being bad at open mic. It's not being at an open mic and thinking, I'm so I'm head and shoulders above everyone else. It's being shit at the shittest night in the world that you'd never go to as a punter. I would never ever go and watch those nights. Some of them. So there are good open mics and they are useful. But my, when I got when when it feels like you're that's all you're doing and you're trapped in it. I just, I just found it so, and I think I was just really, I think I, I probably look like, you know, those soldiers at the start of um, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. I think that's just how I spent my first year or two in London. I think everyone, whenever I heard about me from other people, they thought I was grumpy or depressed, which, which was true. I would just go to gigs and just like grit my teeth and just, <laughs> they're horrible. I, I think... Some people probably don't realise just how bleak those open. Some are, again, you're some right. Of some of them. Some of them. Some of them are great. But some of them, you know, I, I'm immediately thinking of one right now. Downstairs in a pub, you're performing only to the other comedians. And as yeah. you say, it's uh, 20, other, 20 other people pursuing a dream. Yeah. So you're, you're on with those guys. They're probably not laughing because they're worried about their own set or they're going through their gear. And then so, so, the one I'm thinking of right now there might be like a random old guy 
who was downstairs in this pub, not because of the comedy, because he wanted a quiet pint, but he might be the only legitimate audience member. So you're performing some poor old guy that comes in to like read a newspaper. He just looks utterly bewildered, not laughing at anything. And it's just, it's just two hours of a, I mean, and the rest, three hours of a, of a pure slog. And you've ruined that old man's night. What else you're doing because you're all weak and cowards is that you all have a go at the old man. So you go, so you go to these awful gigs where the audience didn't know there was a gig. There's four people sat around, and then every comedian comes on and basically says to the crowd, "Oh, is that too much for you? Don't you like this?" And it's like, "Oh." And the worst, the worst thing is, the worst thing about all this is you don't turn up, and it's like, "Oh, well, I can always do those gigs every night." It was begging to get on these gigs. Oh yeah, yeah. So you'd 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 someone would say, "Oh yeah, maybe we could have you on for five in March," and you'd wait three months to do a gig. And then when you did it, it was that. Yeah. That was the hardest thing. It's not even being able to do four of those a week. Having to do two of those a week or three of those a week. Yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of people, a lot of my peers describe it as like the happiest time of their life and just making new friends and, and having fun and whatever. For me, the move to London was like, and I think that's why so much of my, what I talk about on stage is so like soaked in <laughs> bleakness and bitterness because I, I, Immediately when I moved to London, I could tell what an amazing place it was. And I just felt so far away from the things that made it good. That's something I re- I think that that's something that, that you feel I felt so strongly about and still do here is like it clearly is one of the best places in the world. But it's also um, tr- truly um, <laughs> miserable if things aren't going well. It's just so hard. But so, so how did you then learn? Because I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. If you consider yourself a funny person, you then realize that being the funny person out of your group of mates and yeah. being funny on stage are, are different things. You can't just turn up and go, hey, it's me. I'm funny, right? In fact, I remember this, I think it was the second ever Always Be Comedy. So I'm not, you know, I'm new to MC and I had, I had other comedians going, you should try MC and you should try MC. Yeah. And, and they were right, but you still got to get good at it. And the second ever gig, one of my best mates is in the crowd and I turned to him to do like crowd work with this friend of mine of 10 plus years. And my frankly idiot brain was like, Oh, me and my mate, John, we're hilarious. And of course they don't know me. They don't know John. So we just bomb, <laughs> we bomb five minutes of like the driest patter ever, but you, you've got to learn how to, you've got to learn how to be funny on stage. So how, how did you, uh, how did you learn Paddy? It's a good question. I think I think so much of it is time, um, and what what I did is people. Uh, I went me 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 and Dan Tiernan went to Edinburgh Fringe and did a split bill just after we started. And uh, Edinburgh is is obviously you know a very expensive thing to do, but I I just think that if you're I just think it's the best thing to do no matter where you're at because yeah, struggling to get five minutes and then being able to do half an hour every day for a month. I always feel like those are the periods when I, I did like two split bills or, or, and, 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 uh, and another compilation show that I ran with Dan and oh, I did. Yeah. Anyway, like, yeah, I just remember those are the times when I came out of in September and thought I was loads better. Um, me and me and Dan, when we first started, we did a show called Hunks, and uh, it was in a place called Barbados. You been there? 
Now, I think I've been to Barbados. What? Bar- is this in? Is this in Edinburgh? Barbados. Yeah. Amazing. Didn't have um. Didn't have power for the first four shows. So we had to, we rented. I think we rented a, an extension cable and then a torch when the extension cable no. went. It, it was it was so bad. Um. It, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that is real. That was oh awful. That has absolutely ruined me. You had <laughs> you had to hire an extension cable yeah. and use a torch. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, if you made that up, if you right, if you were to write a sitcom about Edinburgh and you came up with that, you get no guys. Come on, be realistic. Yeah. Well, this, 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 this. I mean, it was. Edinburgh again. It was just like it was so cruel because you'd you'd boo. Our show was at like one p.m. We would completely bomb in front of five people. Then we'd go and watch two or three of the best things we've ever seen in our life. Get inspired, have a couple of pints. The next day we'd bomb to three people. You know, it was so it was so hard. I remember though, one of the first gigs, maybe even the first one. We looked at our bucket afterwards, me and Dan. We went into the graveyard that's just down from Cowgate. Yeah. And we had something like 15 pounds in coins. Yeah. And we hugged each other. We were like, we're comedians. But it was hard. And someone told us recently, we this 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 is oh, by hard. the way, sorry, that is a that's a lovely memory. That's like yeah. a lovely core memory there. That's great. And you know what? When me and Dan were nominated for the best newcomer this year, we went back to the graveyard together, just the two of us. That's nice. Very nice. That's nice. Um, um, but yeah, we we met someone, um, this American guy. We bumped into him in um, in uh, Leicester Square um, a year or so ago, and he said to Dan, he didn't see, he hadn't seen me. He saw Dan. He said, "Oh, I saw you in a show called Hunks. Um, do you remember? Do, do you still see the other guy?" And Dan was like, "Oh yeah, he's here next to me." And I met him, and he said, "I love that show so much, man." I remember he, what he described. He said that I came on. And, and and opened the show and just did a bit of crowd work and like you know basically bombed but like was like trying to make it look like i was having a good time and then i said welcome to the stage dan tin and dan came on and behind us there was a um like a red um like a red blind red curtain thing but there was a light behind that so you could see our silhouettes which we didn't know and he didn't he didn't know if it was part of the show <laughs> So he said that I, ca- I, 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 I pretended I was having a good time. I went, welcome to the stage, Dan Tin. And, and then I went off. And then as Dan came on, everyone in the audience could see me go back behind the curtain. And I just had, I had my head in my hands the whole time throughout the set. And then came out and went, hey, how's it going? And I must have done that every day for a month and no one told me. That's superb. They, they can see the silhouette of you stealing £7.50 from, from Dan's coat. It's just so funny. The head in the hands, and I remember doing that. That's so that great. Every day, in the hands. Sad. Do you know what? I've I've not always. I mean, I've not. As Tim will attest, as I, and regulars will attest, I'm not necessarily. I've not always been massively pro Edinburgh, right? Yeah. However, just to eat my words once again, um, I think I went up twenty. I'd emceed twice. Went up twenty eleven. Mm. Must have emceed. 30 times and then when I came back I realized that I'd at least begun to grasp 
how to MC. So for, I mean, I've got to say, in terms of it being like a boot camp, when you're brand new, that experience of doing as many gigs as you can in a limited space of time is invaluable. Absolutely. I think the key to Edinburgh is uh, being honest with your own um, expectations. So if you're going up there and it's just to get better, then that's brilliant. But what I think a lot of people do is they go up there and they either say they want either they want too much and they expect that it's going to make them a star and that's not going to happen. Or they're, and this is what I was like the first time I did a sort of work in progress, they're dishonest with themselves and say, yeah, I just want to have a few good shows when really they want a lot more from that. So I think if you know what you want uh, within reason, you could, it, it, it's, it's amazing. But yeah, whether I think, it's worth spending, you know, um, all that money. I think, I think some people go up there and, and, and I think they're thinking of the Edinburgh that existed in the 1980s and the 1990s. Yeah. Where there weren't as many comedians doing it and it, and it felt like comedians were getting tapped on the shoulder, turning around and being handed a, a sitcom deal, you know, um, a multi-season sitcom deal with the BBC. And obviously... The, the game has changed a lot since then, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, Tim Lewis saw your show this year as a, a, a you know, to Tim Lewis is a, a bit of a master scout, mm-hmm. goes to Edinburgh to tech, but also with an eye on seeing acts and then WhatsApping me and going, this guy's good. So he saw you, oh, no, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like I'm just making this up for the podcast, was absolutely sweet Jesus, yes, please. Paddy Young. So did you, while you were up there, did you know that you were, as they say, have, having a good one? I think so. I think I was very fortunate. Like the momentum came just at the right time. Like I had low, I did loads of previews and the last two just before I went up, I, I did what I did two the, the weekend before, like literally two days before. One was in a, a room of 10 and one was in a room of 110 and they both went really well. And then, yeah, I just, just early on, I, I I felt it was going well, but I just, again, I think just my memory of Edinburgh is like, I love it so much, but it's always been so, so hard. So I love Edinburgh. I've loved every time I've done, but my memory of it is begging people to come in, um, not having an audience, no one cares, in a room that doesn't work. So for me, early on, I was like in a really nice room. I was in a baby grand courtyard. I had an amazing team around me who were like doing all the hard stuff. The audiences were coming anyway. So really the first couple of previews were so fun. You know, I had, I just was like, it, it just felt so like all, all I had to think about all month was the show. That's all I had to think about. People go on and on about how hard Edinburgh is, but I guess cause I've, I've come from like the very, I, I guess cause it's been so hard and still, and still worth it that this year it was just like, yeah, I couldn't believe my luck. Tim and I, we always have a soft spot for the comedian. I mean, because it's that's that's how I did it as well. But the comedian that that um, has scaled that. I'm not saying that we're at the top of Everest or anything like that. But the comedian that has scaled the mountain has got the the, the cuts and the bruises from those open mic gigs where you're performing to. Well, you wish we wish we were performing to one man and his dog. The yeah. dog couldn't make it. Um, but there's, there's, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm definitely romanticising it. But to return to uh, the thread, how did you, how did you graduate from that open mic to then doing the, the better gigs? Because I would say those gigs are among the happiest times when you when you are able to play 
you might yeah. you might be the, the open spot doing 10 minutes but because you're playing to an actual audience it in fact paddy do you remember the first few times you do a gig and it, you're you're actually doing it to a, a full room and you're, yeah. you you experience the laughter from multiple people for like the first time ever yeah because <laughs> the first few times if you can make the other open open mic acts laugh you, you think right that that's like the equivalent of a shooing but i remember the first few times i was doing what you would call a, a proper gig yeah. and to hear sustained laughter it, can, it actually throws you because you're not used to having yeah. to pause for say 50 people to stop laughing you know yeah i remember i did a i did a five at a club and it went really well uh and i asked them for the video <laughs> And in the video, I say thank you after every time they do a, a big laugh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying thank you as a joke. They're laughing loads. Or maybe there's a couple of cups that I'm going, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, mate. I'm not, I've, got, I've got thank you energy. I totally get that. Thank it's just you. so funny. It's just so funny to be a comedian. Your job is to make people laugh. They laugh and you're, you're thanking them. That's like, poor lad. But what, what was it that changed it? I don't know. I do think that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a clown. I've never done like, you know, I've never gone to clown school or anything like that. But people do talk about finding your clown and like what, what makes you. And I think, I think I, I, there was early times in gigs where I sort of, I don't know who, what I, what, I, what I'm really about would come through. And again, it wouldn't necessarily be material. It wouldn't be planned. It might be even through the crowd work. Yeah. It might be something, but I just remember getting glints of it, but it, it it didn't it didn't feel obtainable. It always felt like a magic thing that I couldn't get a hold of. And then um, I, I guess, uh, so it's such a good question. What What is it that thing that helps you transition? I do think a huge, huge part of it is an innate confidence. And knowing and telling telling yourself a story that you're good and that they'd they'd be so lucky to have you. And I think what I try to do as much as possible now is rather than going what I used to do, I hope these people like me, which is obviously still there, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I try and think beforehand is these guys can't believe their luck. This is this is gonna and I try to think that as much as possible. Um, you know, something someone said to me, I'm sure you've heard this many times, but someone only said it to me relatively recently. And I think it's such a good point, which is um, if you're having a good time, there's a chance they're going to have a good time. But if you're not having a good time, there's no way that they're going to have a good time. And I look back to so many of those gigs where the gigs weren't good or they were hard. And so I would sort of go into myself yeah, of course, and be a bit grumpy and be a bit snarky. Yeah. Some people are really good at that. But for me, it was never part of the act. It was so obvious this guy's not having a good time. Um, and so I think it's like, yeah, finding finding what, yeah, ha having a levity, having sort of some sort of levity above the gig itself. Absolutely. And, and, and the best acts that I always saw were ones where you, you feel like there's so much going on beyond. Do you know what I mean? You They might have only written a two-minute two bit, but you feel like they're only letting you into a surface bit and there's more there. So I think so much of it is smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Right then, Paddy, you're, you're, you're curating your dream gig. Now, do you, do you have any pre-gig rituals? Um... Well, none that I none that I would say are healthy. <laughs> what about the unhealthy ones? There was a while when I always had a always had a pint beforehand, and there was a and uh, a lot of pacing, a lot of scribbling notes and re-scribbling. I always had that habit of I'm going to try this new thing, and then and then on the way to the gig, have way too many new ideas, so that by the time I got there the bullet points I'd have would mostly be new stuff. Yeah. And then as I got closer to going on stage, I'd be crossing each one off. And then I'd end up not doing a single bit of anything new, not even a new word or sentence or anything. <laughs> and then leaving the gig and then looking back at the last 30 gigs and I've done exactly the same set that's gone middling every single time. So what are my rituals now? Are they better? Are they better? I do think the best thing is if much earlier in the day you've done some writing, even if none of that goes on stage. I think if you've done something and got something in a tank, that's good. And I actually think being around people is very, very important. You know, if you're like alone in your flat, just thinking, and then suddenly you get to the gig five minutes before you go on and do it, that's a weird transition. You know, like when I did your gig the other night, I'd gone to the cinema with a mate and then gone and had some food. And then I had two hours to myself. So then I was sort of like feeling a bit sociable and a bit nice. So I do, I do think that that's a big part of it. That's nice. Um, but yeah, before I go on, what do I do? I do do weird. I do sometimes say weird things out loud to myself, which is so, I can't emphasize how not me that is. But I did, I did go to therapy and she was talking about essentially positive affirmations and i do think that works if you just literally which i never was brave enough to say a while ago but just to say just as you go on oh this is going to be great yeah big time just say that this and just actually say it this is going to be great (laughs) it 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 helps mate i think that's i mean you are singing to the choir on this sort of stuff but i think that's very that's that's powerful and important stuff. Yeah. This is going to be great. 
and I look at and I look at them, you know, you know, I was looking at on Sunday, look at the crowd and like, oh, they're having a really good time. They're, they're, they're so happy, weren't they? They're happy, they're, and it's going to be nice again. I think it's very easy to see a gig as a as a it's it's a, it can be very confrontational. That's in the air already, and I think it's very easy to take that energy on of like, okay, this can either go well or badly, and this and that, or you can choose to see it through the prism of like, oh no, this is all good. You're doing what you want in front of people that want to see it. Obviously, it's much easier now that you do nicer gigs. You know, easier to think at the Clapham Grand than it is at. Won't mention the name of the bringer, but <laughs> insert name of bringer. Again. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I mean, there was, I remember there was a competition for new acts, and like you could basically you had to bring audience to. I think you had to bring two audience members who okay. had to pay. And then, like one lad brought like his entire family. He, like, so, like twenty people came with him. I remember one of the other acts turned to went on stage and mid routine turned to this lad who brought twenty people and went, "Congratulations on getting through to the next round." Because, because wow. obviously, yeah, they all voted. <laughs> he had he had twenty votes in the bag. You know, what I'd love to do. This might be this might be moving on to the dream gig here. I would like to host a bring a gig at the O2. So. That's a twenty thousand seater. So let's say, let's say we've got like three thousand acts, and have each got to bring three bringers. <laughs> so there's like nine thousand bringers, and three thousand acts, and each act gets what ten seconds, and they get a light at nine seconds. <laughs> Superb. That that would be awesome. My my daughter, my eldest daughter, did a. I've told this story on stage. It's a bit, a bit like what you said there. Performed at the O2. Oh God, it's gonna. Be, I'm sure the company that run it were lovely. But basically, they get school kids to sing at the O2. So you, you're all going. I'm going. Our kids going to sing at the O2, and then you get there and realise that there's like three thousand kids singing. It's like, it's like the ultimate bringer gig. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I did. A, I performed in front of the Queen um, when the Open Air Theatre in Scarborough opened. But there was again about two hundred and fifty of us on stage. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure if you remembered. <laughs> I think my wife, I mean, I, I sort of, in my head, I was like, you know, as if it was going to be like my daughter singing like Beyonce, you know, as if as if there was going to be a couple of them. And then, of course, the penny dropped. No, of course not. Um, right. Me and, me, and, me, and, uh, me and Ed Knight were trying, he was thinking about an idea where we do a show, you know, we, we say it's going to be a split bill, me and him. But what we do is we alternate five minutes. And then we spend the last like minute or maybe even two minutes introducing the next act. And then we thought about what if we bring another act on the next time? And every we do it every month and every night there's a new act. So like eventually there's like five of us rotating and then ten of us rotating. Maybe That's great. Yeah. Uh right, who MCs the gig, Paddy? Um okay, this is a toughie. Um I've tried as much as possible to think about American acts who I'm never gonna meet and be embarrassed. Um I just can't. I just can't think of anyone that that would be better than uh, Daniel Kitson. Uh, where did you see Kitson MC? And uh, was Kitson someone that you'd been into f for a while before you got to got to see him? Yeah, I'd seen him at Edinburgh a couple of times, and I'd seen him. In, he'd come to do Manchester, and he'd done the he did a, a show at the Royal Exchange, which is in the Round in Manchester. And then when I moved to London, I used to go to Sunday Special all the time that he used to MC a lot, and it was just. Uh, it's just, I mean, that's just it, isn't it? It's just, it's just perfect. Uh, but, but it's funny actually, because there's an argument to be made that maybe 
it isn't the perfect emceeing if you're always a bit deflated when then when it, when an act comes on. <laughs> but I sometimes got the vibe that those bits were amazing, and then an act would come on and it'd be good, and then he'd come on and it'd be amazing again. <laughs> he's uh, to anyone to any listener that's not seen Daniel. What, how would you describe him? I mean, he's just he's a special talent, isn't he? Yeah, I think he. I think he just, uh, yeah, he just never goes for like route one or route two or even route three. Like he just, his mind is just on something else. Um, and he, yeah, I just think it's just that, it's that sort of unspoke. There's just like a magic touch there, isn't there? Have you got to, ta- have you got, have you ever met him and got to tell him that, you know, what you think of him? No, I haven't. I, I think, I th- think what is good is to, uh, yeah, you want to meet, you want to meet, you want to always want to meet these people and and do well and then tell them that you like them, I think. Have you done that yet? Not with him, I've not met him. But I've done that you with him. No, sorry, I mean, just in, in general with other people that you've been a fan of. Yeah. Go and on. that's nice. I won't, I won't even say because I don't want to embarrass myself, but there's people that I was like going on, on the way to go and do a gig with and be like, oh God. And then decided to hold my tongue as I met them and just back to court and then afterwards. And then that's nice. I think that's a nice thing. And yeah. also, you I personally think you've got to tell these people, because it's not when they die, it's a bit morbid, but you know when people die and then people say, oh, I never did tell them. And I always think, well, why didn't you? That's like that's sort of inexcusable. Hmm. Um, well, what if I die and then they, you know, come do a bit of my funeral or whatever? There you go. What a lovely touch. Um, whenever I stay at my folks in Leeds, hmm. I mean, I'm, oh, you bet I'm in that spare room. Well, obviously, I'm not going to be in bed with my mum and dad. But I'm I'm in the spare room. And then every every time I see the collection of John Bishop DVDs, and then that... So I, I, I would watch John. My dad and I would, would watch the John DVDs. Mm-hmm. And then to end up working with John a lot, and then be able to tell him... I, I, th- I think it's it's nice to... And that's a bit cheesy, what I've just said there. But I, I think it's... Yeah. Uh, I think those things are important. Absolutely. Uh, right, who is your who's your opener? Pat Williams. Brilliant. Please talk us through. He's uh I think he's just the, well, first of all, the reason I thought about him being an opener is because he's got possibly the best opening to a special I've ever seen, which is to hustle in. American hustle, I think it's called, or or hustling. And he comes on to to the um Rick Ross song, Hustling. And he just and he have you seen that bit? No. And he basically just keeps asking them to keep playing the track again and saying, you, this, this, this song just makes you feel good. And then like basically does a bunch of act outs to the, to the song. He's just like a, he's like a real life cartoon character. He's so big. He's so immediately funny. He's so much all about the act um, and just does everything. He takes everything as far as you could possibly take it. And he just, he's just everything about him is funny. Every single thing about him. He's small. He wears funny outfits. The way he walks. It's just like, yeah, yeah. I, I just think uh, it's, it's magic. And that, and the, the energy as well. I mean, the guy positively crackles. Yeah, he's definitely up there. So, so Cat, I guess Cat Williams comes back to that, that line of yours about in terms of not necessarily the writing, but the act. I mean, he's sort of like the embodiment of that. For sure. Yeah, I think all of it, like all of his premises are good. They're all great, you know. He, but but like you know, there's one about how much gas costs now and how much it costs to fill up your car, 
And the bit is just essentially, you know, you used to be able to, you know, put the thing in and wait, and now you do it and it just goes quickly. Like that as a that as a observation as a premise, it's good. Yeah. But but the cell, the way he acts out both those things is just it's just so, so good. And it is, I think because I did used to watch like cartoons and Mad Magazine and the Beano and stuff. And so like people like him, like they 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 light that same bit of my brain on fire. I have such a soft spot. Some some comedy heroes have come out and said how much cartoons inspired them. Yeah, I think I think Robin Williams, Conan O'Brien, Jim Carrey have all said that the the Chuck Jones cartoons, uh, Roadrunner, Coyote, etc. Mm. Those, those cartoons were such an influence on them, and I, I it's almost like relief when they said it, you know, because I totally buy into that. Yeah, it's completely completely the same for me. Uh, right, that's a great choice for the opener. We go for the break. We come back. Paddy, who do you got in the middle? Again, I'm gonna, I'm just keeping it. I'm keeping it American. I think. Do you know what I like this? Uh, Mike Wozniak deliberately went with dead comedians to avoid any embar- to avoid embarrassment. So this is a, this is nice. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I guess. Um, uh, Zach Galifianakis. Phenomenal. Yeah. For a lot of people, for a lot of movie fans, the guy from The Hangover, and then and but then to any. Stand-up fan, you do a little bit of digging, and my God, there's a there's a whole there's a whole uh, second life there as a comedian. And, and also, him as a comedian is so is is there's so much more going on there than the guy that you might see in the movies. Yeah, yeah, and he did, and that special live at the Purple Onion. Yeah, which I just think is so unlike any of the special because. It, you know, he's a lot of it. He's playing piano while telling jokes, and it actually cuts away from the gig a lot of times. And it will show him do, playing his own brother and a little road trip in between. So it goes back and forth. And uh, I just think he's, um, I mean, his jokes are like absolutely perfect. They're like absolutely perfect jokes that a one liner comic could tell. And he'd be a really good one-liner comic that would like drill them out. But because he's got this, like, again, his act is, he's just, um, yeah, there's, there's, again, there's so much going on under the surface. So he's telling these ridiculous bits, but he's saying it while he's at a grand piano with a beer in his hand, looking hungover. Zach Galifianakis, I think is what you said earlier about the guy that gives you a little slither into their life. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, he's one of those, he's one of those acts that you, there's so many comedians that we love, but I, I just think now and again, you see someone and that, that comedian become, you're just obsessed with it. And you can, you can never understand why they don't, you don't see them do it more. You know, he, he, he does, does a lot of movies, but I, I don't, I can't find any more other than his special, a few spots here and there. And they're all just to me, like perfect. Um, so I think he'd be great in the middle and he'd be playing music. And, you know, I love that way at the, at the end of his special, he, there's like a, a children's choir comes on stage and they sing while he's doing the last bit. It's just, it just elevate, it just elevates it. You know, it's theatre. Love stuff like that. And I think in the wrong hands, it could just be a bit, you know, you could see it going either way, but 
it's just it's so yeah it's just so sure of itself and so bold i've watched that special like countless times is that is his the career the sort of career that you would like to have paddy because you know with the acting background mm. do you, would you see stand up running in tandem with uh mo- you know movies and tv and stuff like that maybe yeah i think when i started stand up I, I was so keen to be take to be taken seriously as a comic that i either didn't tell people that i did acting or i would say i would put it down as much as possible and i really didn't try and do any acting stuff for like the last few years but now it's it has come full circle a little bit where things are starting to come my way and actually i can uh i really i really love to do stuff if if it's um if it's the kind of stuff i like i know that i'm not gonna have to go and do the you know audition for bad theater anymore because i don't want to but yeah for sure I, i love them yeah i'd love to do all that i mean quite a lot of quite a lot of stand-ups came from a a drama or a stage school or some sort of acting background. Peter Kay had yeah. done, had studied, had studied acting, hadn't he, before he got into stand-up. In fact, I think through studying acting was, I think there was a stand-up module as part of the course. And then that was sort of like the stepping stone. So it's like there's, I'm not saying that you said there was shame in it, but there's no, there's no shame in like embracing that, that background, you know? There's always a bit of shame from having to go to drama school. There is. Go on. It just it just is a bit it is just a bit embarrassing I think drama school because when you're it it it's sort of cult like and you do while you're in it you sort of have to take it really seriously and think it's the be all and end all and the moment you leave you're you realize that you were like all the cliches that people think about it where you like you know play cats and and trees and stuff and the color it's all red. true it's all true go on. I've I've done all those things. I've played every animal, every plant you can think of. Um, but when you're because di- I didn't go to drama school, I didn't go to drama school, so I'm not mm. I'm not taking the piss when I ask this. Mm. So when you're playing the part of a cat or whatever it might be, do I take it you you literally have to you have to for all intents and purposes literally believe that you are a cat? James, we had to go to the zoo and pick an animal to study. And then go back into the movement studio and pretend to be that animal. This, see, this is the this is the insight. Which which animal did you study, Paddy? I did um uh uh um what's what's the one that has its arms up in the air when it runs? The monkey. orangutan. No, no, it's it's uh oh, what's the name of it? I have to Google it. That's heartbreaking. Is it mon- I'm I'm now I'm now googling monkey walk. Oh, is, is it a gibbon? Let me look. Is it a gibbon? Yeah, Gibbon, Gibbon, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when they walk, they've got to go like that. Whenever I had to play a, a Gibbon in a play, it, it's all like use, it's all useful stuff to like, you know, get you into your body and try new ways of getting, you know, it's all, there's there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a method to the madness. But that's not to say it isn't unbelievably embarrassing. And the most embarrassing thing about being a drama school student is you think it's the most important thing in the world while you're doing it. And you have pity upon people doing real degrees. You're like, I can't believe these people are going in there and they're doing like lectures where we're, we're doing the real stuff. And then you realize, you, I look at all my peers that did proper degrees and I think, oh yeah, that's, I get, I get it now. But, but sorry, I'm, I'm really trying, I'm, I'm like your life coach here, Paddy, but mm. that must have helped with the, with the you know, cause you, you're so, I love a bit of physicality yeah. in an act. It must have helped with the physicality. No, absolutely. And it definitely helped early on because I, I I do think most comedians either started as a writer or a performer and you can see quite clearly and then you have to learn the other thing. 
And I definitely think early on I could make it look like I was having a good time more easily than other really new acts. So before the writing was there, there was a certain amount of confidence or at least like um, feigning confidence. So no, it's all helpful and I'm really glad that I did it. And uh, I, like I say, now that I'm starting to do a few more acting things here and there, I really, there was a while when the two were like competing with each other and like, you know, I had an acting agent that didn't like comedy and it was a pain to try and do both. And now they're coming together as one thing, which is very nice, but I, I still stand by it. Um, drama school is, is um, humiliating. Source of shame. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Who, Paddy, who, can I just say, Tim, when Paddy is collecting his Oscar for the role of Johnny Gibbon, <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember this moment, remember where we were, um, who, cl who closes the gig? Keeping it American, um, Chelsea Peretti. Phenomenal. Unbelievable. And again, part of it is because don't see enough stand-up from her. Don't see enough stand-up. And then also, as you say with Zach with the choir, in Chelsea, I can't remember which stand-up it is, but the one where she it starts off with the montage where she's sort of lampooning yeah. different specials and you know exactly who she's going after. <laughs> she yeah. doesn't name them. But things like that. Just a great comedy brain. Someone is trying to do something different. Big swings. Yeah. One of the greats is that special. One and of the un greats. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And she, again, yeah, she you're completely right. The way she plays with the form, she doesn't do, you know, I, here's what she does, which I think I think the best acts do, which is she she sends up what stand-up is, but she also does stand up very, very well. And I think that second bit is the bit that a lot of acts miss out on. So there's a lot of acts that just do straight stand-up. That's what they do. It's bread and butter and it's brilliant. But And then there's also acts that try and sort of turn stand-up on its head, even though they, they haven't sort of got the convention themselves yet. Do you know what I mean? I, I know exactly what you mean. And like, yeah, it happens a lot open mic level, but it happens at all levels, I think, to a certain extent where people just sort of, yeah, people think they're sort of better than stand-up and they'll try and do things... Um, yeah, to break it, but they 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 can't actually do it. And I think the thing about her is, if you were just to take her at face value and she had to do straight stand up, whatever you can see that to be, she would still be up there. But it's the fact that she turns it all on its head as well. So yeah, I love that in her special, you know, she'll be doing <laughs> she'll be doing a bit about dogs, and then it will cut to the crowd and there'll be a dog in the crowd. Yes, that's right. Like, it's just a lovely, just a lovely little touch on there. And then I the, the way she ends it. You know, every American, especially American comics, but British comics as well, because we, I think we've taken so much of the conventions of specials from the States. We always try and end on a big thing and there's like loud music. And it's like, well, what I love about the end of her special is she tells her final joke and we can just see her. And then there's silence. And then it pans out to the audience and the audience is, is empty. <laughs> so she, she's got a great ending bit, but she decides to just like, you know, Take the take the air out of it, and then she just goes, oh, and then she walks off. And I remember that's one of the few specials that because it's hard to watch any special all the way through, isn't it? Even the ones that are good, I often find watching it on TV on your own is is not, um, it's not the way to consume comedy. But I remember watching that special and then just starting it again immediately and watching it again. And also, we've we've seen that ending to every special ever where they, is it is it? I think it might be Jim Jeffries where he actually. He actually, they actually keep in the bit where he says to the crowd, all right, now we've got to end on a standing ovation. 
Think, really? Yeah, if it's not Jim, I apologise, but there's a there's a big name comedian that basically addresses the fact. Right, guys, you all need to stand up. Right, so we've all we've all seen the special where the crowd it's total bullshit and the crowd does a standing ovation. But mm-hmm. Chelsea with that ending, that's a better ending because it's more memorable because we've never seen that before. Therefore, it's it's gonna it, it's more impactful than guess what? They've got a floor manager or whatever to come on and get everyone to. You know. Exactly. And I think what she does, which few specials do, is she's like, there's all the stuff that is, it's, it, you can't deny that most of the stuff in stand-up is better live than it is. So the people there having a better time than we are at home, but she gives the viewer at home, she, she basically gives it an excuse for it to be filmed. I just think she's amazing. I just think she's so good. I think all, all her stuff is so good. She does that really good bit about... Um, like what male comics do when they like do act outs of sex and what it'd be like for her to do it. Just, I, and I just wish, I just wish I could, I wish I could still see new stuff of hers. And I, I know she does so many like, yeah, different writing things and TV things and acting things, but uh, yeah, she's just so good. So and also good. if you're going to, if you are going to, cause some comedians will, will send up the form and like you say, as if they're better than stand up, and it's sort of a, it, it's probably a bit harsh sort of a coward's way out because if, if you've not yet mastered the thing that you're lampooning yeah sort of like check you know check yourself before you wreck yourself but but as you say chelsea she is sending up she's lampooning it but she but my god she's she's clearly a brilliant comedian yeah she's doing it she's she's doing stand-up and sending it up like i guess like cambo that's what he does as well he sends stand-up up but he's yeah. also just he's doing stand-up yeah is that is that from because you're right? It was, it, you see it a lot on the open mic circuit. Is that coming from a place of fear where you're like taking the piss out of other comedians? I think it's fear, but I also do think like there, if you're being generous, there is, you know, there is a there is a nice naivety about it. You know, there's that old cliche people used to talk about how if you got someone before they went to film school and asked them to make a film, a short film, it would probably technically be all over the place. But there might be something about it which is like really unique. It'll probably be awful, but there'll be their real sort of voice to it. Yeah. Because if you ask someone the first film they make after film school, they've learned how to use the camera and the light and all this stuff, but it feels much more uniform. And I think that is part of the that there is something quite special about despite the failure of it, before you've there there is something quite nice about the failure of, of all that stuff. And uh, yeah, it's awful to watch as an audience member. But I think I think very, I think a lot of us. I certainly did. When you start, you think, "Oh yeah, I'm going to do this thing." And I remember doing these awful, cringy things like pretending to come on with earpods on, and you know, just things that I just thought this will this will be such a no one will have ever seen anything like this. <laughs> and then it doesn't get. And then everyone's like this. Paddy, mate, when I started emceeing, I thought exactly the same. I'm going to I'm going to come up with stuff. I'm going to change the bloody game. Yeah. You know what? Some of it I should sort of stand. I stand by some of it. But one of the things I used to do, I used to, I used to get a stooge in the crowd, <laughs> and at Edinburgh, I'd go up to a random person, and I'd get them to feign a heart attack while I was performing. Amazing. And then I'd walk into the crowd and I would announce, "Oh my God, this woman has had a laughter-induced heart attack!" Right? <laughs> oh my God. Only if Rob Beckett remembers this. I once did it in Edinburgh and a guy really sold it and Rob Beckett ran to this person's aid because he thought the guy had had a... Oh, God. Yeah, that is just... I, t- I just accidentally picked out at the Daniel Day-Lewis of audience members. Because <laughs> the, yeah. the, 
the bit I was trying to, the, the bit, the, the joke, it's never a good time when you ever explain it, is that I thought, what is the bit was so funny that I'd killed someone. Obviously, yeah, I hadn't, and it wasn't. Yeah. But that, yeah, on that particular night, it went wrong. But it is that 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 sums it up, which is there is a there is a there is a world in which, and there will be days in which that goes well, and it's just a joy, and it'll be the highlight of that. that like if they've seen five shows at the Fringe, they'd go. Do you know what my favorite bit was? There was a bit in the show where that happened. The sad truth is, ninety-five percent of the time, people go, "Why'd you do that?" That's what's so. That's what's so hard about a big sell. A big sell is just like it's so binary. You're either going to be a hero, or you are just a maniac. Yeah. When it yeah, when it landed, yes, there is humour in. Uh, you've got an audience member on their hands and knee. I mean, yeah, but yeah, you're right. You realise with experience, some things aren't worth it. Yeah, right, Chad. Yeah, yeah. You know what it is, isn't it? it comes down, a lot of it comes down to percentages. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Is there an incident that's happened at a gig that you would somehow like to replicate at this gig? The one thing that comes to mind, I did a gig in um, the North, I can't remember where it was, but it was a 150 seater. And because it was quite a local gig, well, I don't know why they did this, but everyone's name was put, every audience member's name was put on the seat. So they're, they're pre-booked and then they're, they were given allocated seats. And I decided before I went on, I literally just thought, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna learn three names. Just just for the sake of it. So I did like Rob Jenkins, someone else, and someone else. And then that that I didn't even think much of it. And then I don't know what I don't even know if I had a plan at all. But I remember just picking it up and seeing the Rob Jenkins. And then I was doing the gig, and then someone interrupted me. I think I was doing a joke about, you know, you're all you know, you're all, I was, whatever I was saying, I was saying something about the crowd, like you're all rich. I know I can feel it. You've all got money. And this guy was like, no, no, I don't. And I thought, I think, I think that's the Rob Jenkins seat. And he was like, you know, four throw back in 150 seater. And I went, no, Rob Jenkins, you are. And I know that. And every, he I happened to be at a party of like eight or nine who all couldn't believe that I knew him. And then I said, 
I know all of you. I've looked at all of your names and I know what each of you are about. And basically, I made it look as if I knew exactly everything about all these people. And it was just sheer luck. Oh, and- mate, that is a... You performed a magic trick. Yeah, and I didn't... And I, it was all luck. Because <laughs> then all I did is I said, I know... And then I just mentioned the other two names. And I know you, and I know you. And I said, I know all of you. And then just left it at that. Paddy, mate. If Darren a bit... Brown heard that, he'd be like, I'm having that. I mean, it feels very wonky to come on here and just tell you about a thing I did good at a gig. No, but... that's it... me. That... <laughs> but it was sort of a thing that just, it was, it was all about almost, like it was out of my hands and it just, it just happened. And I was, and I tried, I, I remember on stage acting like, yeah, and that's just the way it goes. And, but just thinking you, you complete, you've completely chanced that one. But, but what seals the deal is the fact that you have the other two names up your sleeve. Yeah. So yeah. you've basically gone, I know you on row K, yeah. chair 10, but I also know you on row A, chair 8. And you, I mean, that's, so the whole crowd are thinking, holy mackerel. Yeah, they thought, how had he done this? How had he done this? And they, they probably thought, he, it can't have just been luck, you know? So it was just, it was just, it was, yeah, it was sheer luck. That is a beauty. That is an absolute perler. Yeah, it's brilliant. So I put a lot of pressure on the next question. What incident must not happen at this gig? I mean, so, so many bad things have happened at so many bad gigs. <laughs> so it's, it's so hard for me to pick one. I was thinking earlier, last year I did a work in progress at Edinburgh and, uh, you know, was flyering for myself. And then I decided to hire a flyer and... <laughs> And my mate was like, oh, I know a guy, he's flyering, um, it's a Japanese guy. He doesn't have perfect English, but, you know, he, he seems up for it. So I said, okay. So I gave him the flyers for the show and uh, no, one was, no one was coming. I was flying a bit and he was doing, you know, he did like two hours. And then at the end of the, his shift, I came up to him and I said, uh, oh, how did it go? You know, what were you saying to me? He said, yeah, yeah, good. And then he said... Uh, what is um, a Paddy Young? And I was like, <laughs> that's my name. What have you been telling these people? Oh. So no one came. And, that, and, that's, and I can't blame him. That was on me because I met him and I was like, he can't really speak English. Uh, uh, but I was just the most desperate guy in the world. So did you ever ascertain what, so I imagine people had gone, Right, who is Paddy Young? And he's gone, I don't I don't know what a Paddy Young is. Yeah. And then they've gone, well, probably won't be going to that then. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't, yeah. You just think, how many fires do you get in a day? You, you, you really need to be strong-armed into it. Rather than... But the weirdest, the funny thing is, it's not that I, I didn't see him just give out flyers and I think, oh, he's just throwing it out. I saw him speaking to people and that's why I was like, oh, this is good. He'd never seen me. I don't even know if he'd seen stand-up. I mean, just, just awesome. awesome. So you, you see me thinking, God, this guy's really, he's putting, he's putting it all out there. He's having a proper chat with them. Yeah. But it turns out be, between him and the, the would have been audience members, they were probably trying to work out what, what is, what is this? I just wish I, I wish I could just hear 30 seconds of one of those chats. So I guess. What, beats not... me. Well, beats me as well. Have a good day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. 
Yeah, I mean those those Edinburgh shows with no people, it's so dispiriting, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, again going back to it, I think people, yeah, a bad, a truly bad gig. A friend when I moved here, and my friend was really supportive. He was he was like, you know, let me come. He wanted to come see me, and I was telling him about how hard some of them were. And I and then he saw firsthand a bad gig with something like something like six audience members and he hadn't really computed yeah what a what a truly a truly bad gig looks like uh, I... it, it was amazing to see through his eyes that, that's the amazing thing is you you know you're like a, again you're like a soldier in war you just get used to just bombing at bad gigs and then yeah you see it through someone's eyes and it's uh yeah it's all fresh all over again unbelievable uh, a friend of mine also called tim came to one of my first gigs, it was in Brixton, and I'd been telling him how well I'd been doing, you know. Oh, terrible idea. <laughs> Spoiler, this did not go well. And it was it was just comedians on the bill, no audience member, apart from my friend Tim standing at the bar. And uh, some, I mean, I used to live in Brixton, I've never been to this pub before or since. And uh, they called my name and I walked up, I'm not making any of this up, kicked the microphone lead out of the wall as I walked onto the stage. So then I'm on my hands and knees trying to plug the microphone back into the wall. I stand up. I've, I've done what I've done to the mic stand. The mic stand just collapses into pieces. So then I've got to try reassemble the mic stand. I think I then pull the mic out of the wire and then I've got to plug the mic back in. My friend, we went for a drink afterwards and he said, I, I thought it was, I thought you were doing a bit. No, I wasn't. No. And the blind panic in my brain of like, cause like oh, I was just, I think with experience, I'd have owned that as, as if I was doing it. Like, of course. Like the Evans. Of course. But at the time, I mean, it, it, the anxiety, the panic that I'm feeling right now, remembering this incident from 13 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. I banned people from gigs for a long time because I, I just didn't want to put them through it. For too long, I banned people. But but yeah, um, I had a girlfriend for five years and she never saw me do it once. I think that was the correct call. Yeah. Um, my my wife still brings up because I, I I was a sports writer when we met. I'd never done comedy when, when before we met, and she will still bring up a couple of those open mic gigs. Yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> Do you remember that room when blah blah blah? blah. Oh my god, mate! Oh. Me and a couple of the comedians did a couple of kids gigs, like we were doing sketch shows for kids, yeah. and we, we did the, the first one sold out. We, we, it happened in the wrong order. The first one sold out and then we never had that success again. And we ended up doing one to about three kids in a pub in North London. And it was so silent that my wife, she had to, she physically had to leave the room. <laughs> she, she couldn't watch the man she loves, like humiliate himself while I was, God knows what I was doing in this. And sketch. that is a true test of love. That is love. They say, they say it's children, they say anything else, but seeing your partner, Come a bad night is is just you know talk about the ick. I know it's a cliche that we talk about all the time now, but how, how could you return from that? Actually, you know that might be my thing. I don't want to happen at a gig, which is you come out. If this is a gig I'm performing, actually, so maybe different than the dream gig. But you come out, and I'll never mention who, but there's been one or two gigs where I've come out and there's been someone there that I know, and it's been heartbreaking. So maybe the worst thing ever would be to come out and like, I don't know, 
the, the collection of your bullies from school are all together on the front table. Imagine that. I had some, I had some old work colleagues come to a gig, probably about 15 of them. And it was, I'm not even sure that I've seen some of them since. <laughs> the thing is, it'd be fun now <laughs> if you're doing a good gig, but it'd be, it'd be doing, do, doing a stinker. Would you recommend the listener checks out an open mic night? Yeah, it's a, yeah. Go and um, speak to a medical professional about where you're at. Uh, and if no, I think you should. I think if you are a fan of comedy, it's worth checking one out. Yeah, and my, I won't say who, but my, my mate who's a comic did a gig recently because he just needed more time, and he took his girlfriend. And again, she hadn't really understood how bad it could be. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good social experiment. There's a comedian we both know who went back. They wanted, they wanted to build some material, so did a load of open mic gigs. And I'm not, not. I, I, I've said I'm very pro open mic circuit. I hope that's come across these past few episodes. Yes. But they, they felt it was actually damaging. They, they, they're an experienced comedian, and that not only did they not get anything out of it, they, they, they actually thought it was damaging for their confidence. I think that's so true. I also think, like you know, we talked about open mics quite a lot, and I do think that part of it is that for a lot of us we cherish we cherish good comedy so much so i think for a lot of people they will just get there there'll be a lot of people that will just happen to see a night and watch a bunch of people bomb and they'll be like they'll see it for what it is oh it's a bit of an impromptu thing and most of them might not make it but some of them will and it's just a thing so for a lot of people they'll go to those and just be a bit bored or take that you know but i think for some of us we hold we we hold good comedy so dearly that it just breaks our heart to see it so bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I would say if I was to tie it in a bow, I'd say when you're on the way up, it's vital and it put, puts those metaphorical hairs on your chest, like your granddad would, would have said. But once you've, once you've done it and graduated from it, maybe <laughs> nail the door shut, you know, drawbridge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Drawbridge. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Right. Awesome gig, Paddy. How do you unwind after a gig? Hmm. The best thing is when it just turns into hanging out with your pals. And, or even if you're not all friends with the comics before, you are afterwards. So I think uh, um, um, a lovely drink in a lovely pub with no music, where you're all sat around a big table chatting with um, bags of crisps opened out on the table. Can you get, can you get any better than that? Do you know what? I've talked a lot on recent episodes about not being able to sleep after gigs. On Sunday, we all went for a drink. Chat, 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 chat. I went home, pretty much went straight to bed. And all slept. you need. It's all you need. And, and we properly wound down, hadn't we? You'd all wound down and you'd all got your, you know, you've all, you've, you've got rid of your, your showing off done. So you don't need to do any of that, which you do sometimes if you, or like before you've done stand up. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's nice. Because that's really, because we are getting away with murder. And so it should be that that your job involves, yeah, your your job involves being out at night in pubs. And so, you know, maybe, maybe it's all right if you do have a little pint five nights a week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Paddy, absolutely perfect. Huge and heartfelt thanks. 
Check out Paddy Young on tour next year. He'll be back at Oisby Comedy shortly as well. Uh, a ferocious talent. We're so excited uh, about all things Paddy Young. And then the special Watch This Space. So follow him on the socials. Uh, we will also mention it in our intro. Uh, so yes, be sure to get your tickets to see, one of, as I say, one of the most exciting uh, comedians we've seen for many a year. Paddy, thank you very, very much. Thanks so much for having me, James, and Tim as well. Pleasure. Huge and heartfelt thanks to the great Paddy Young, as we say, uh, burksnest.com slash Paddy. You probably already follow him on the socials. He's, he's big on the old Instas. Uh, Tim, your favourite Paddy Young memory? I've got, I've got mine. Well, you kick off then. We did one of these. We did, we did a run of super secret shows that we're not allowed to talk about. That's becoming quite the catchphrase. That, but uh, we we picked comedians to uh, open for these particular gigs. Um, we we maintain the secrets and until told otherwise. And Paddy, frankly, absolutely annihilated this gig. And, uh, you know, it was, I like my football metaphors. I, I would say it was a bit like being picked for a, a big Champions League game. And uh, Paddy Young scored a hat-trick. Bit, a bit like Wayne Rooney, remember the name. That's a real deep cut for uh, football fans. Rooney scored a, did he score a hat-trick on his Champions League debut? And the commentary was, Clive Tilsley, remember the name, Wayne Rooney. I'm going to Google, I might put the facts wrong but you get the vibe. So that will be my favorite Paddy Young memory. And then also off stage is a great hang, very much an ABC fit and he's a, a lovely dude. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm getting quite paternal. Um, <laughs> so that will be my Paddy Young favorite memory. Right. Mine was from the fringe of 2023, which he stormed. Uh, it was like trying to get a ticket for Glastonbury by the end of it. It was so difficult to get tickets. Um, he added one final bonus show. He must have added, I can't, I can't even say, many, many, many extra shows, which all sold out straight away. He finally added a big old extra show in a big old room. Um, and it was in a slot I could finally go to. Bought a ticket, saw the show, hype justified. So brilliant. I think that my previous comment about Tim Lewis being like some sort of Don Corleone figure in the world of comedy has been proved correct because I think they only put on that extra, <laughs> extra, extra show to ensure that you got in. Can possibly comment. <laughs> well played. I, I mean, it wasn't a great through ball from me, but Tim latched onto it and absolutely thumped it into the top corner um as ever thank you very much for listening the the team at alwaysbecomedy.com with the email header correspondence and we will hopefully see you at a show this year huge and heartfelt thanks god bless you all